I'm really looking forward to introducing you all to Tony Moss. He's one of the coolest individuals I've had the pleasure of meeting. He is a musician that goes under the collective called Bird Tribe, but his true vocation is serving medicine in the form of ayahuasca and sound during ceremony. So sit back and enjoy this podcast with Tony Moss. But before we get started, I'd like to talk about Manscaped. Now, at first impression, you may think this is going to be like any other hair trimmer and there's gonna be no significant improvements. Completely not true. They have done absolutely everything possible to make sure this is the best ball and dick trimmer possible. Like, it doesn't get caught, doesn't get snagged, it's efficient, it's actually enjoyable to use. I will go that far to say that it's actually enjoyable to shave your junk with the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. And Part of this technology is the way that they actually innovated the guard and also the way that the rotors work. Everything that they did to make this product just makes sense. And when you have it, you'll be like, oh yeah, I'm never going to put any of these other trimmers anywhere near my junk ever again. They also have amazing packaging. It comes in this beautiful box. They got a bunch of other products as well. So I encourage you guys to check it out. And again, thank you so much for supporting sponsors and trying these different things out if this speaks to you it means a lot to me so go to manscaped.com and get 20 percent off with the code amp that's manscaped.com code amp tony how you doing brother life is good yeah in some crazy times life it is, is still good. <laughs> it is we've been trying to do this for a while yeah. but uh you know things have their own divine timing and i think it's uh it's pretty special that we get to sit down now yeah. at this time because Absolutely. not only are you a person of color you're also someone who's participated in thousands of ayahuasca ceremonies mm -hmm. and you're a musician and it's just a time that's ripe for exploration and discussion so yeah. happy to be sitting down here with you. you yeah so for you from the perspective that you've had and as i just mentioned you've participated in thousands of ceremonies and this is kind of in many ways, like a collective ceremony for all humanity. So, you know, what are some of your initial thoughts about how everything is transpiring right now? You know, initially, like everyone else, there was just a, a cognitive dissonance around the whole thing. <clears throat> you know, trying to put it in perspective and understand what was happening, what was real, what was just, you know, drama and reactionary. But it pretty quickly started to look like what a lot of us are now calling it, which is a really gigantic purge, right? Um, and not in that context, very similar to a ceremony, you know? And given the context of, let's say, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, and the fact that it was coming on the tail end and in the midst of this pandemic, which already had everyone on edge, and in a lot of ways, appropriately had a lot of people doing a lot of deep internal self-inquiry because they were isolated, you know, needed to. And then this fuse was lit. And although it has been uncomfortable in a lot of ways, I've been really grateful, like a lot of people, that this suppressed conversation that needs to happen in this country at, at all times is finally being had in a very loud way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In such a way that people can't ignore it. And exactly. I think that's the that's the beautiful part of this. And then to see how many people, like if I look at the beautiful side of this, mm -hmm. it's how many people are having to take a real introspective look at what's inside them. And 
over and over you see like the root of everything is is real kind of love and a real mm. unity that's forming and sometimes some of the shadow expressions are divisive and, sure. and you know my tribe versus your tribe and that's some of the shadow that's obviously coming up in any purge or in any ceremony yeah. but if you look like a little deeper and from a little higher purview perhaps it's like wow this is fucking beautiful yeah you know i have to say you know and it's something um that you can't always say publicly is the kind of silver lining of the whole thing because a lot of people it's too early to hear that right they yeah. really want to be in the the intensity of the con the confrontation you know and, mm -hmm. and i understand that it's cathartic and it's very important and at the same time as you're just saying you know it it's so beautiful to see what's coming out of it already you know um to see so many you know, i live in atwater village um small town here just well, in L.A. County, right? Mostly white, for sure, but very diverse. And uh, I went to the farmer's market last weekend, and I hear this bagpipe coming down the street. You know? oh, and cool. I was like, whoa, right? Because um, I did the genealogy test, and on my father's side, it turns out I'm 40% Irish-Scottish with this mix. Shit, you could have fucking taken a, taken a guest appearance on that bagpipe. <laughs> you could have just right? figured it out from pure DNA alone. <laughs> exactly. So it definitely like woke up the DNA, and I'm looking down the street, and like, wow, that's so cool. And then as it gets closer, I realized they were my neighbors, right? All white, mostly families more than like maybe 20 of them and they were all carrying black lives matter banners yeah right and playing and, the bagpipes and playing bagpipes how fucking and, cool and really only doing that for their neighborhood on that main street where all the restaurants and businesses were and um and as they were passing i had this suddenly overwhelming like i'm the only black person on the street actually so on top of this being beautiful it suddenly hit me which has been kind of the story of my life and a lot of black people like me, like always being like the only black person in the room kind of story. When that moment, it felt like all eyes are on me to see how I'm going to react to my neighbors doing their Black Lives Matter parade with the bagpipes. You know, and all, I just stood there and did the kind of namaste prayer thing and I actually started crying because it was so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And they kind of passed and kept going and I just had to stand there for a minute because in that moment, something that a lot of us understand intellectually really hit me as a somatic visceral experience that I wish my mother had lived to see that. Right? Yeah. That suddenly, and like here I am on this street that is predominantly white, being supported by white people, right? And people driving by and honking their horns, you know, and they were applauding. And so the the depth of what was possible for the entire country in that moment really hit me. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the responsibility of being a person of color at this time to the best way to say it, I would be, I would think, is to maybe seize the moment, you mm -hmm. know, uh, as opposed to violent reactions that are purely from an emotional reactionary place, you know. As Martin Luther King, I'm sure, would say, like, how do we seize this moment and bend it towards justice? You know, like, yeah, yeah. So that was a beautiful moment, and from that point on, I was much more um, beyond just intellectually interested in everything that was going on, I felt it on a daily basis. Yeah, it was like I let it in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a narrative that is being pushed, I think, subconsciously by individuals and maybe perhaps even consciously by some of the media outlets that's creating mm -hmm. this idea of us versus them, this idea of divisiveness. Yeah. And surely there's those elements that are there. They're not making them up. They're not right. magically creating them. And But 
the real thing that's happening is a lot more unity than i oh, think yeah. people really recognize i mean if you look at what's happening with the marches in hollywood and yeah. all around the country all around the world yeah you're seeing like a real sign of people coming together and saying enough is enough we've had enough fucking injustice we've had enough fucking racism like let his, let's expose this and then make the changes necessary and get yeah. beyond this and i think that's the thing that gets me really excited and yeah it's it is still really early but i think for someone like us who've had a lot of experience in ceremony these purges we can see is like this is going to be productive even if oh, it's yeah. violent vomiting and puking and mm -hmm. yelling and crying and all of the things that kind of come out of this on the other side of this catharsis has is the opportunity for massive healing yeah i mean beautifully said and you know the age-old story about the media you know being very selective in what how they report and it looks like it's slanted towards the violence well there's a lot of violence happening you know mm -hmm. but the compassion and the unity and the togetherness that has been taking place on the streets and i know because a lot of my friends are involved in it you know far 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 uh, yeah, outpaces anything that's negative and violent. And as we know, most of the violence has been, you know, police pushback anyway, or, or you know, some of the white supremacists that infiltrate the, you know, the marches, whatever. Very, very little of the violence has actually come from looters and certainly not from Antifa or Black Lives Matter people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's interesting that, you know, we have these narratives that are being pushed through these traditional media channels yeah. and different different places that we have to just be a little bit suspect of we have to understand yeah. that no matter what it is whether they're talking about covid and they want yeah. you to watch the goal of so many of these organizations is just keep you watching the fucking news yeah. you know like over and over like what's going to get you to watch the news well let's put the most provocative thing that we possibly can that's yeah. going to get you emotionally with attached. the equivalent of a news clickbait you know like exactly yeah yeah you bring up something that's really I think so important during this time period, a lot of people are starting to see through the manipulation. It's not always that it's some insidious, you know, agenda, right, that the media uh, is pushing. I think oftentimes it's what you're bringing up. It's just sensational and it's what they think people want to see and what will bring ratings up. And on occasion, we've seen definitely that the media being used as a mouthpiece to forward some kind of agenda but by and large i think they know the human beings are attracted to drama and they keep feeding it to us <laughs> i mean look at reality television right Precisely. look at look at anything that's there i mean all of these things that someone say oh look at this conspiracy and look yeah. at this plot what about simple self-interest yeah you know simple self-interest can explain a lot and simple self self-interest on the behalf of some of these media organizations is all right what's going to get people watching the fucking news yeah you know yeah, you know, and this idea, you know, putting that in the context of um, like the Black Lives Matter movement, the and what's happening in the world with you know conspiracies, like freaking everybody out that you know somehow they're going to that your interest in a conspiracy theory, particularly on social media, will literally equate to people dying. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's I think it's a necessary conversation, but it's still blown out of proportion, particularly in this context. And I was just sharing this with some friends the other night that. You know, sometimes shit just happens, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, and it's not and that ayahuasca ceremonies, literally shit just happens exactly, sometimes yeah. like, damn, oh yeah, no, it's like, what do know, I do now? This series of events unfolded that resulted in George Floyd being where he was and getting killed. And it doesn't mean that there were some people behind the strings that got together with George five years ago and said, okay, on this date, we're going to have you, you're going to have to sacrifice, man, because we have this whole agenda that we want to push. Right, right. right. You know, um, certainly I think anything... And I bring this up because COVID uh, 
is now being considered by a lot to be part of this kind of you know conspiracy agenda you know yeah it's it's a weird thing because there's yeah. covid that's happening and there's tons of conspiracy right. theories about that Around and then that. this happened and to me it was like well this wasn't according to plan and then the <laughs> conspiracy theories like, are like oh, oh, oh yes it was <laughs> exactly. this is exactly the plan that they were looking for i was like no fucking way this is the plan this yeah. is way too random i had a friend post recently like you know and, and bless her heart she's an amazing being so she'll know i'm talking about her but she posted you know some things about George Floyd, and then right, I don't know, it seems suspicious to me, right? And uh, and I get it, I'm like, well, suspicious versus coincidental or weird, just weird, right. you know? Um, but that said, in all seriousness, the thing is that, of course, anything, uh, the pandemic, um, Black Lives Matter movement, you know, all of it can be co-opted once in effect, and I think be used to try to push maybe some narrative or agenda. But that doesn't mean that there is a conspiracy to begin with. And I think that's where the two are collapsing and getting a lot of people wigged out, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's this idea that, all right, there are there are anarchists. There are people who want just anarchy and chaos. And those may be outside forces, other different nations mm -hmm. or organizations, or maybe internal forces that just yeah. kind of want this chaos because they're angry or they're frustrated or they have some idea and this is an opportunity for them to be opportunistic like we were talking about earlier just yeah. be opportunistic like humans have been for our whole evolution for tens of thousands of years if we had an opportunity we would take it and i think different organizations are going to see an opportunity here and they're going to take it but it doesn't mean it's yeah. part of some massive you know conspiracy it's just okay this is now what's in play this is the this is the game board that exactly. we have now. How do I advance so how, my piece on this on game this board? board? Exactly. You know, and the interesting thing about that, the obvious thing is that all sides are doing it. You know, yeah. every group involved, uh, from the government to Antifa, you know, just about every organization, including you know, climate activists, they're all utilizing the moment to push their agenda forward. And why wouldn't you? Right, from what you're saying. So that's distinct from there being a covert kind of very strategic, well-organized conspiracy on any part of those, any of those groups. Right? Yeah. Some may be better at it than others. I think they're more prepared and have more resources available, you know. But um, <clears throat> yeah, the whole thing is, it's very, it would be very disturbing to me if it weren't for my experience with ayahuasca and ceremony and watching the cathartic arc that people go through individually or that an entire group in a ceremony can go through. Because as you know, we're watching that exact same process unfold on a national, if not global scale. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the, you know, for people who haven't been in ceremony and they don't understand the healing process, mm -hmm. they might say like, well, why is, why is all this happening? What is, what is going mm -hmm. on? But when you understand the healing arc, that certain things in the midst of healing when you're in that middle zone it's not pretty it's not you don't exactly hit the sweet spot yeah. you know and i've watched this many times in ceremony with myself and with other people is you may know that ultimately you're going to land at forgiveness and that's where the healing rests right but if you try to rush through the anger and through the, the spiritual through the, bypass all of that yeah if you try to rush through that <laughs> yeah. like you're making a mistake you can't you can't rush through it you have yeah. to go through all of the things and all of these feelings that people have had this repressed anger this repressed like yeah. frustration all of this it's gotta it's gotta be let out and hopefully you know you keep the rails on a little bit to prevent it from yeah. you know creating more damage that you also have to heal from later but it's all productive when you look at it from that perspective it really is you know i mean one of the foundational truths of 
healing trauma is that, as you know, you have to go into the trauma. The only way out of trauma is back in, but with a new cognition of it, mm-hmm. you know, a new relationship to it. Um, in the context of uh, ayahuasca ceremonies, that's true of all the aspects of healing. You know, uh, I often say in the context of ceremony that you can't let go of what you don't first hold, period, right? You have to, that thing has to come up. It needs to be sat with uncomfortably or sometimes violently, right? For as long as is necessary, right? And then there's the process of being willing to let it go. And hopefully the forgiveness, the final piece of that, you know, like forgiving yourself, forgiving the situation, the perpetrator, what's that word? Perpetrator. Perpetrator. Perpetrator, yeah. Um, So just this process of forgiveness, because it's like the final piece of like, this is no longer in my field. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, something that comes up very, very often with ceremony work around this idea of forgiveness. And people get it intellectually. um, but it, there's an amazing moment when they realize something that they've heard before is true, that forgiveness is not for the other person, it's for you, right? And I found over the years that's why people have so much trouble with the idea of forgiveness. They feel like forgiving is condoning the behavior, letting the person off the hook, you know? They go, no, the forgiveness is so you can get on with it, you know? Yeah, yeah I'm quoted often as saying, you know, at some point in ceremony, it's like, forgive yourself, forgive everyone else, and get on with the rest of your life. Right. Yeah, that anger that you hold is not actually hurting somebody else. We have this misguided, you know, cognitive perception that if I'm angry, it's punishing them. Exactly. It's not. I'm never going to forgive them. It's punishing you, you (laughs) know, and it's like we we feel like that by us energetically creating the distance that anger allows us to create, which Mm -hmm. is important as a temporary step oftentimes. But that that's going to continue to hurt the other person. Right. Maybe sometimes in personal relationships it will. You know, if your friend's really angry at you and not speaking to yeah. you or certain things. You know, I've I've been involved in a lot of those situations. Sure, and it, it does hurt a little bit. You know, for sure. But ultimately, holding that anger hurts you. And the longer you hold it, and especially if you're holding it to the collective oh, or yeah. holding it universally, yeah. it's not going to allow you to actually live the freest, fullest expression of who you are. In some ways, it's actually going to be. You're going to be stuck. You're going to be trapped in your own anger construct. Uh, you know, and I think modern psychology, psychiatry, mental health, the world understands that. Um, but it is an amazing experience to watch it happen in people's lives in, yeah. in medicine, plant medicine work. You know, the liberation on the other side of just letting go of resentment and pain, you know, mm-hmm. emotional pain, you know being held on to. Um, I've watched people after one ceremony, you know, and they come back because they've got other things to work on. But the, the week following a ceremony, you know, send me an email saying something like, you know, I didn't even know that I had this much liberation available, meaning I had no idea that, that I was that oppressed within my own, like, you know, mental construct or emotional you know, psyche, terrain, whatever it is. And suddenly this one little thing lifts and it's like the floodgate, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it's like that feeling of when you're in love and suddenly the world is beautiful again, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're looking looking from a radically different lens. So a lot of you know the Onnit Fitness platform through our maces, our clubs, and of course our kettlebells and our primal bells. But that's just one part of our fitness programming. Really what we're known for, for the people who come to the gym, is weaving in durability into all of our training programs. It starts before every class and it ends after every single class that we offer at the Onnit Gym. 
John Wolfe is a master. He's a true expert. He's big as a truck, but if you can see him move and see the flexibility in his hips and see the mobility in all of his joints, it's truly staggering. Same with Juan, same with Eric Leha, Primal Swolger, same with everybody, and I'm working on it myself as well. But one of the things we wanted to really offer everybody is the Onnit Six Week Durability Program. It's part of our Onnit Six Suite, the same one that you can find on Onnit Six Kettlebell, Onnit Six Steel Mace, Onnit Six Body Weight, and now we're offering the Onnit Six Durability. And this is something you can do on your off days, you can do it on your workout days, and it's just going to ensure that your body is functioning at an optimal level always. So you can continue to play all of those sports you want to play, that you can continue moving however old you're getting. I'm almost going to be 40, so it's about time I start weaving in a lot more durability. And I'm just really grateful that the Onnit 6 durability is finally out and released. So if you're interested in that, check it out, onnit.com slash Aubrey, and check out the Onnit 6 durability and of course, you'll get 10% off. Once again, onnit.com slash Aubrey. Thanks, fam. As someone who's participated in so many different ceremonies and even facilitated, mm-hmm. you know, quite mm-hmm. hundreds of ceremonies yeah. yourself, this this perspective is something that I think even psychologists, we can understand it, but to see it and to know like what's happening in the individual can also happen in the collective. And that's yeah. like, that's the, that's the good clue. Yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, do you have any, do you have any particular instances maybe in your own experience mm. or in, you know, experiences that you've facilitated where you've watched this healing arc, you know, and like, oh, you yeah. can see like the examples of, of how somebody moves through some trauma and some, some repressed feelings. Well, um, hundreds of course you know relevant to what you're just saying you know the ones that really stand out are the ones that ripple out from the ceremony into community mm-hmm. you know where you know a community that has been at odds or in some kind of confrontation for a long period of time or maybe has completely imploded <laughs> sometimes exploded and moved apart and then one person in the ceremony has a realization about their participation in the whole thing right um and starts to make these deeper connections like, oh, actually, that was definitely my wounded child reacting to, oh, I was triggered. Well, if I go back, wow, that was actually my grandmother. Whoa, that was actually her grandmother. And then mm-hmm. the ancestral, mm-hmm. you know, unfolding. Um, that I've seen several really amazing um, unfoldings, we'll just call it, of that one person getting that and then reaching out the next day and wanting to apologize or bring some clarity. And before you know it, the entire community has been healed. Yeah. You know? um, and the, the process is similar to what we're just sharing, that you know, uh, there's the interesting thing about the healing process of plant medicine, in this case specifically ayahuasca, you know, and you're familiar with this, I'm sure. The most common thing I hear people say about why they don't do it is they're afraid of what will come up. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you already know that there's shit to come up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, why would you be afraid? <laughs> exactly. So they come in, already know, right? And then there's this whole, like, I'm here to be healed. But the whole time, you're like, I'm holding on to the stuff that right. wants to come up to be healed. And so, you know, it's it's a humorous kind of uh, place for myself and the my crew, you know, the co-facilitators, to watch people suffer in ceremony and really have a difficult time, mainly because they're avoiding the thing they came there for. <laughs> right. right. So usually then suddenly there's a breakthrough and the floodgates open and the thing comes and like, you know, it can be, you know, 
shared it any any number of ways, but typically it's like, oh my God, oh no, it's true, it's yeah, true, yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah, yeah. it is, right? Or I'm such a bad person, you know? uh-huh. yeah, um, whatever it is. And then there's, you know, the, the uncomfort and kind of running from that. And then always there's this moment when you see that they relax into it. Yeah. And realize that actually it can be let go of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have to define you. You know, you don't have to take it forward into the next seven generations, <laughs> whatever yeah. it is. And you can go back into your community or family, whatever it is, and actually heal the thing. Right? Yeah. And I see that happening, you know, in a lot of communities relative to the time period that we're now, that this is happening, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting thing that you bring up. How people have this, they have an idea that they know something, but they're really afraid to explore it. Another thing, another reason that I've had people say they're afraid of ceremony is they they're in some kind of career, and let's oh, say yeah, they yeah. say they're a stockbroker or something like that. Like, I don't want to do ayahuasca. What if it tells me I shouldn't be a stockbroker? Yeah, then you're already thinking that <laughs> you're already be, exactly <laughs> like if you were confident in what you're doing, <laughs> you'd be like, okay, great. You know, yeah. there's this idea that's going to tell you something that isn't already coming from you but i think people already deep down know that this is maybe something that they're grappling with happens all the time i'm almost verbatim you know uh what you just shared you know i've met some people we're talking about ayahuasca and uh, this comes up in what i do you know like on this plane ride once this guy was like yeah i've heard about it and i've been really thinking about it but you know i don't remember what his career was but he said exactly what you did but you know i'm afraid if i did that that i'd get derailed (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. from this thing that i probably shouldn't be doing anyway <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah we're so attached to our identity around certain things it's, and so inflexible with what we want to change it's the foundation of the work with plant medicine yeah yeah Real, breaking i over identification with well the missus would say with form but with a uh, story mm-hmm. you know identification of you know self story family neighborhood country whatever mm. it is it all comes crashing down and what i find with most people is that's the real foundations of their fear right you know one of my teachers i sat with uh, years ago gangaji talked about this um that one of the reasons the ego is so self-destructive when left to its own devices is because it ultimately knows it's not real yes right yes and it so it always knows that the whole thing is bullshit and that it's a lie so it's doing everything possible to kind of keep itself you from the veil being lifted on the the fact that the whole thing is a sham so there's a part of us i think intuitively that knows going into a plant medicine ceremony like the whole thing could be like ripped apart you know like Mm -hmm. yeah and so that is you know is interpreted as an ego death so the death experience people are so afraid of in ayahuasca you know like no one's ever died at from ayahuasca. <clears throat> and to clarify... Well, a few, maybe. Well, to clarify, I always have to. People have died in ayahuasca ceremonies and related. To date, no one has died because of the medicine ayahuasca was in their system. Right? It's been things that are related. And I've checked. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so it's either some kind of other drug that they were on or some kind yeah, of other Yeah, it's either a contraindication yeah. or really bad practice. Yeah. Right? And in a couple of cases, there was like an allergic reaction to an admixture. It wasn't the ayahuasca vine and leaf, which is the traditional ingredients sure. in one case the uh the cunadero mixed in toe which is you know here uh detour yeah. yeah and uh the young man had an allergic reaction to it and unfortunately had been given permission to go as far as i i think this is fairly accurate he was given permission to go back to his little tombo cabin and he actually choked in his own vomit so it wasn't from the ayahuasca itself right and one guy this is a relatively recent one 
um, he was there to be healed from something that he was taking medications for. The Kudendero shaman actually told him, this is one of the substances that's not okay, no bueno, with ayahuasca. But he insisted that he had done his research and it was okay. And he sure enough died in the ceremony. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think going back to what you're saying, though, about the about the ego death, I mean, one thing, so I asked one of my spiritual mentors, Paul Selig, I asked mm. if the ego itself was, could be considered an entity, could be considered like a, a life form. Yeah. And and he was like, yes, actually, actually, it could be. So if you look at the prerogative and the directive of every life form, it's to survive. Absolutely. And if the ego only survives by our belief and our identification with it, then in its effort to simply survive, it's going to do everything it can to keep us in the ego, keep us believing yeah. in the ego. So if that means throwing your whole life into chaos, because when we're in fear, mm -hmm. then we're going to rely on our ego, our trusted friend, our Absolutely. companion in all things. Yeah. Our ego is going to figure this Your, out. Uh, we're going to fight do or flight survival yeah. so in that programming. Case, in that case, the ego is really active. It's really present. Yeah. So it's thriving. Even if your life is going to shambles, your ego is alive, which is yeah. it's primary directive well if you get really still if you're in ceremony if you're allowing that to release it's kind of the dissolution the dissolving of this entity and that fear of death is going to cause it go no way yeah. you know like straight into something that's going to scare you and bringing this back to what you know you open with how we're what we're watching on the global scale is that exact process i feel you know a lot of people have commented on this that if you, and we, I'm not saying that it is because I'm not qualified to, but if we are watching the last days of an empire, right, if democracy slash capitalism is collapsing, right, or a particular way of life that certain people have bought into, um, it is a similar process of my entire identity is now being attacked, right? And you liberals are the reason why, or you mm -hmm. black people are the reason why, or you police are. You white supremacist are, and I feel this is what we're watching: are these identity structures, you know, on a tribal or global scale, that have a real, probably you know, uh, valid concern that you know the gig is up, yeah. right? and it's time to transition. So, like you're saying, they're going to do everything possible. These last like thrashes about, you know, I had this ceremony once, and I saw it was like witnessing the United States and capitalism, not conceptually, but as it's actually practiced in like the oil industry. It was this beautiful, ironic metaphor of seeing the whole thing represented as a dinosaur in the tar pits. Like, so he's going down, oh, yeah. but he's thrashing about. Mm -hmm. And you know. The tail with the spikes exactly. and the horns and the. It's like, I'm gonna do everything and throw in tar and shit everywhere. <laughs> And either way, you're sinking, right? Yeah. But as you were saying, it's programmed. Like, it has to survive. So I feel like, well, of course, it's going to trash. It's not going to go, well, tar. All right. Now is my time. <laughs> exactly. I'm ready for the ceremony. Let salmon. me just sink into this. My life is this is like taking off an old shoe, like Ramdas said. <laughs> <laughs> they said the ego never. Right. <laughs> the ego's like, fuck you. Exactly. I'm going to be here forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I actually, have a, I actually have a theory. I don't know what I whether i believe in ghosts or this yeah. kind of idea but all of the re reports and accounts about ghosts is they're mm. kind of like they're not particularly conscious and they're kind of like assholes they're just kind of stuck in this thing they're kind of haunting bothering you people. bothering people <laughs> i often wondered like if that phenomenon is real and of course i haven't had any direct experiences mm. so i only really believe the things i have direct experiences about if that is real perhaps there's a certain way that at death 
the consciousness, the unborn, the undying, what you might call the soul, mm -hmm. transitions and goes off mm -hmm. to the discarnate place where it goes off an experience that I think a lot of us have had on medicine. Perhaps maybe the ego at that point is such a strong body and, and with such vigor and adherence to its construct, maybe it just separates. And maybe it just becomes this like this entity. Well, and they so, call it the hungry ghost. Yeah, yeah and this, this idea that you can remind these ghosts, you know, in quotes, you can remind these ghosts to just go to the light. Well, what is the light? Light's the place where you go back into the unicity, back into the all. It's a dissolving. Exactly. And and this construct is suffering. You know, these ghosts are suffering. Clearly they're suffering. You wouldn't try and torture people mm -hmm. and, and like haunt them if you weren't in pain yourself. Pain creates the desire to create more pain. So it's like this idea like these constructs aren't really real. And the best thing we can do is just help help them nurture them back to a place ultimately maybe back to the light and completion mm -hmm. but also in the in the meantime while they're actually a part of us and we're never going to get rid of them completely let's just nourish them and kind of lighten yeah. lighten their load push a little love push a little light in yeah. there push a little forgiveness in there and just allow them to like release their hold that's a, a uh, rather traditional approach uh shamanism takes to meeting less than benevolent beings, right? And these other and these dimensions that you can traverse in ceremony is um, to not give over to your fear of them, right? Um, and your whole story about that, but instead just to meet them with love, right? Particularly mm -hmm. your own quote-unquote demons, right? Which, you know, you were saying earlier, you know, you can see the, the demons as just thought forms or aspects of your ego that show up. Because they always have some aspect of you. I find they wouldn't even show up otherwise. You know? Right. And you can actually look at everything as all you, which well, is like an interesting part. Like as yeah, within, let's have that so, conversation, as within so without. Right? <laughs> cut through everything else. And yeah. like, oftentimes with ceremony, I share this with people. Like In the same way that when you have a dream, everyone in the dream is you that's an echo certainly of the way a way to live one's life but certainly in ceremony mm -hmm. is that both the light and the dark are equally valid teachers don't push any away like just become the witness of the teaching of you know, yeah the entire show really you know because then the arc it can take you on you know of watching all these aspects of self you know cathartic and kind of show up and do their thing and dissolve you know that's the bigger teaching yeah know? and it's something you can take into your life you know yeah, and those ghosts and the beings and the demons, you know, I, I love in Buddhism this concept of the bardos, you know, like, like really your whole life is preparing for death. And the foundation of that, really, I think the, the pro of that teaching is that you're not really living until you face your mortality, right? When you, when mm. you really get that you're going to die at some point is when you can really take on life, right? Mm. Because you see how precious it is and you go for it. And... Somewhere in that teaching, what they're basically saying is beings that aren't prepared, like you're saying, the ego is so attached to its identity, not willing to maybe dissolve into the unity. They can just hang out in those realms. Right? Mm. So some of the ayahuasquedos would say that those are the beings that you're meeting. These are beings that are stagnant, that don't actually continue on with their kind of evolutionary course back towards unity. Right? Mm. So they just kind of hang out and you know, I, I think, like anything, in that consciousness, you would become pathologically stagnant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stuck in a loop. Yeah. You know, just stuck in a loop where there's just no growth. And then having that application of love, perhaps, you know, yeah. even for some intentional love, can actually blast them out of this little circle, you know, yeah, where yeah. they're stuck in this cycle. 
and just like, oh, whoa, love, something loves me. Yeah. Like, whoa, wait, right. what am I doing? Maybe I am love. Oh, shit. All right. Like, I'm done with this loop. Yeah. You know, I'm done with this, this cycle. And I've met people like that, you know, over the years that it, it's, it, it's a kind of common experience that someone will share something along these lines that um, throughout the whole ceremony, they felt separate, you know, and, uh, but then they realized that was their medicine because it became clear to them, like, I'm, I don't feel like I belong in the world, right? I don't have a lot of friends. And then this whole story, and they suddenly realized, yeah, but the reason why is because I have this, you know, self-perpetuating, self-fulfilling prophetic thought that I'm separate, I'm alone, people mm. don't like me, right? I'm separate, I'm, and it just keeps going and going and going. And then suddenly in ceremony, they realize that they're part of a group, you know, yeah. and then, you know, one little act of kindness, like the person loves me, and then the whole thing comes falling down, like the right. facade of it. Yeah, this one guy just cried. I, you know, I'll never forget this one. He was, his name uh, was Craig, and he would want it to be known. And uh, he's a war veteran, amongst other things. And, uh, again, we had to go through all kinds of, list, you know, checklists to make sure it was going to be safe and to be in ceremony. So he passed. So he's in ceremony, and he's kind of mostly still the whole time. Some sighing every now and then, but I remember thinking, not much is happening, but I'm really glad that he at least got to experience it. After ceremony, we're doing the sharing circle, and uh, we get to him and he says, uh, my name is Craig, and I just want you to know that I have been alone for the last 50 years, and tonight wow. I feel like I have a family. Wow. <laughs> That's all he needed. Game changer. <laughs> yeah, absolute game changer. He's came to, well, they were difficult to get to for a bunch of logistical reasons, but he was in every ceremony they could be from that point on. And interesting enough, he said two things that were beautiful. One was his main reason for coming wasn't so much a ceremony at that point. It was because he had finally felt part of a community and a group. Um, but something that was really beautiful for the younger people to hear when we were sharing our intentions in the beginning, like, why are you here?, each ceremony, he would say, well, I'm at a different place than young people. I'm like 70, now 71, and I'm not doing so well. So I'm kind of like preparing myself for the next stage of the journey. That's what I'm doing in these works. And it was just really beautiful like to yeah. hear this, the, the, the gamut, you know, of like there were some younger people that were like literally preparing for how to live their life in their future. And he was preparing for how to exit in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, the ceremony is such a beautiful thing that people go through because you may arrive and... You may notice all of the differences you know okay yeah. this is a woman this is a man this is this age this mm -hmm. is this color this is this you know and just notice all of these different attributes yeah. but when you're in ceremony all of that evaporates <laughs> dissolves and then anything that you've and when you're in the sharing circles which happen afterwards you don't hear any of that you know it, it's just human beings you see their soul you see their yeah. their kind of the innate humanness of who they are yeah. that just emerges and you stop having all of these judgments about like what this person is and usually most of the truth it's really remarkable to me everyone i've got to i've never heard anybody in a sharing circle say something that they got on the medicine and been like what the hell was that you know it's always like <laughs> i mean you yes. might three weeks later <laughs> yeah but yeah happening. it's like oh yeah yeah that makes sense yeah you know it's all pointing towards these universals which really bond people and bring my them favorite my favorite part of the ceremony experience is the sharing circles, mm -hmm. um, which is just the post-integration process. You know, hearing, we, we often joke that we should do the before and afters, you know, because everybody enters the ceremony all separate in the world. And as you know, by sharing circles, it's like, I love you, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. 
I mean, they real like you said, all of a sudden, all the they realize that all the barriers were just mental constructs in their head, you know, and that you literally could fall in love with every single person in the room if you were open to it, right? And then you, even your fear around what that means. What does that mean, fall in love with? Like all of it just starts to go in ceremony, yeah. you know? I think it's why it's so challenging for a lot of people. They're just, I don't think a lot of us have a idea of what it would be like to live your day-to-day without really hardwired survival strategy programming in place, mm-hmm. right? Like what would it really look like if you let that go and just walked out into the street and started saying hello to people, right? Because there's interesting phenomenon in some of the work that I was doing early on with uh, conflict mediation. And uh, one of the exercises, you know, in a lot of spiritual traditions too, is this, um, this kind of looking people in the eye and various, you know, configurations of this. Um, one of the names for it is darshan. It's like uh, anytime you see the, uh, the deeper reality behind what you're looking at is darshan. It's like true sight, right? So the phenomenon is that you get a group of people together that don't even know each other, or maybe they don't like each other. And what we discover is if you get them to actually like chill and look at each other in the eyes for a while, and you ask them later, like, what was the actual fear and concern? It's because they realize they start falling in love with the person. <laughs> it's yeah. true, right? And it freaks them out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh no. So you start making up all kinds of other stories, you know, to like, somehow math what feels like it's not okay because of your conditioning to fall in love with the person in front of you like what does that mean you know i always tell them i go fall in love <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's some there's some idea that you know love is scary yeah love hurts and i think it's not actually the love that's actually hurting anything it's our attachment oh, to yeah. a specific source of love mm-hmm. you know that hurts you love somebody and then that person yeah. decides they want to create separation through anger through mm-hmm. removal and then there you feel the pain because that source of love is gone and then sometimes you internalize it as your own fault and then there's the guilt and the shame but it's never the love. The love always feels good. Yeah. Yeah, people have several people have mentioned this. I I most recently heard Jason Silva speak to it in one of his amazing rants um, mm-hmm. that it one of the phenomena is that love and fear always rise simultaneously, you know, and for that very reason, because typically, and I've just got my own kind of self-inquiry, I've seen this happen many times, the initial euphoric, like, I'm in love with this person is followed almost immediately by, but what if they don't like me back? Or mm-hmm. it's going to go away, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's not going to last forever, right? Yeah. And the, for some people, those actually become reasons for not falling in love. The idea that it might one day end is a valid justification for not loving at all. It's like, well, then we, as the Buddha say, that's going to, it's going to bring us back to the foundational fear, which is fear of death, right? Mm-hmm. This, in this context, meaning impermanence, right? Western people particularly have a lot of trouble with this idea that things are not permanent, right? Um, and it shows up certainly in the context of relationships and falling in love. It's like, you know, I love you. What does that mean? It's like, well, you're going to hurt me. You're going to go away. It's like, well, one day this love won't be here. Like, well, what if it doesn't work out? Like the neurotic, you mm-hmm. know, um, wanting to attain something beautiful and hold on to it forever. When all of nature, all of the cosmos is showing us the contrary, you know. Can't hold on to anything. I think that's you know one of the things I realized. I did a six-day isolation in absolute Ooh. darkness, absolute really? silence, absolute isolation. Wow. And during that period, one of the biggest things I had to confront was there was an aspect that was keeping me from loving life to the absolute Ooh. fullest. 
and really like enjoying life and being happy and enjoying all the sights and the sounds mm-hmm. and the connections and the people and everything because i knew i was going to die and right. i knew i had to give it back and exactly. so if i if i didn't really love life that much eh, if i die so what exactly you know, it like, won't hurt so bad won't hurt so bad and also i have this belief <laughs> i know i kind of feel like i know where i'm going when i die i've been there i've traveled to those places yeah. those locas those planes of existence yeah. that are disembodied so there's even less fear you know about mm-hmm. that but what, what was it what was the real fear well the real fear was letting go of all of these things that i love letting yeah. go of my life letting go of all of the beauty that's around me so i wasn't allowing myself to fully engage with it and i still struggle with that you know it's still a challenge yeah my friends you know or certainly the people that um i've been a facilitator to or in their context like a spiritual like mentor in some ways it's something that i have to remind them of what you just said it's like look there's moments when i'm definitely in an experience of Wow, I spent a lifetime cultivating this Tony Moss avatar thing. Right? <laughs> it's like I like my talents and what I'm up to, and I love what I love, and I love my plants, and I love the cat and the fish, you know. And then like the cat died last year, it completely ripped my heart apart, right? Mm-hmm. And I was right in that story like everybody else. It's like it's okay to mourn the loss of my cat. Right? It's a friend, and to have the understanding that everything will fade away eventually, right? Um, and then it's another step to just really accept the fact that um, you, as you know yourself now, will not exist at some point. Right? Hmm. But for me, that really is, as the Buddhists are saying, is that's a reason to completely celebrate yourself, right? Yeah. It's like, like to just go for it. It's like, like make mistakes, call people out, do your thing, you know, just make a mess, right? And always leaning towards, you know, of course, the love and unity, but to just fully embrace your humanity. You know, I feel like at this point in my own personal evolution, that's the whole point of the human experience, right? It's not to be a spiritual being, it's like you already are, it's to be a human being. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the more we can embrace our humanity and see what's possible, you know, um, I don't know, the more outstanding the whole game could be. Right? Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. When you really get it and you really understand that memento mori, remember that you're going to die, that old Stoic belief and all of these, you see them yeah. in so many different traditions from yeah. philosophies and religions and this idea that all right all right all right i'm gonna die so what am i gonna do i have to let it all go anyway so am i gonna just play it safe and stay on the shores and not really enjoy everything so that moment is less scary or am i gonna just live so full that when my time comes and i see that you know minute hand going around and i know when it gets to 12 that i'm done that i'm gonna have a fucking wicked smile you'll be like the native american saying this is a good day to die hoka hey yeah right and that's (laughs) been my guide star is like to really feel like Today is a good day to die because I've lived so fucking full, so exactly. full. Yeah. I mean, even these little small ways, like I remember being in one of the study trips we took to Peru, uh, a beautiful young lady, a sister on the trip, and the Shipibo brought out all their tapestries to share and sell as they do. And this one was like, like Picasso, like gorgeous, <laughs> like the Michelangelo of Shipibo tapestries. Uh-huh. And, um, she clearly wanted it. She was absolutely in love with it. She could afford it, no problem. And she's holding it up. It's like in her hands, right? And then there was this thing you could see the moment when it happened, like some story crept in of maybe not deserving or doubt that she could have what she wanted. So she folded it up and then she kind of put it on the pile. 
Meanwhile, you know, there's a guy that really wanted it. So once you put it down, he's like, great, it's mine, right? Yeah. So she spent the whole next week being upset that he bought her tapestry. <laughs> and at a certain time, I'm like, you know what actually happened there, right? This is like, I know you, and this is your life story. It's like feeling somehow that you don't deserve what you actually want, and then being upset that he didn't do anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing this, and all the little ways that people ultimately are trying to put off death, like play it really safe, like as if that strategy is going to work, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, since I'm eventually going to die at some point, maybe I'll just kind of be lukewarm the whole journey, like you said. So when I get to the end, maybe it won't be so bad. I'm like, no, nah, the only thing that's going to make it okay is that you fucking lived. That's it. That's yeah. it. Because that moment. Like my friend said, slide in the home base, dirty. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Sc- scrape your knees. And-, <laughs> Can you, and Because imagine the horror. Imagine the horror of being in your final moments, which could come sooner than later. We at never, We moment, never know. And just imagine the horror of looking back and going like, fuck, I played it safe and here I am, I'm going to die anyways. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the, that's or the that thing. Or that you spent all your attention on being beautiful and preserving your body only to be in your deathbed and be like, oh, doesn't matter much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not that you shouldn't go for it and be healthy and fit. I'm just saying like, if that's your priority, you know, above all else, right, then there's, it's, it, it's a skewed way, like where your access point for your center for how to live and navigate your life is particularly thrown off by materialism in any form, right? Yeah, the upset, not being healthy because, uh, you know, it's it's a good way to live, or I'm going to take on life extension and looking beautiful just for the experience of it, and I want to fulfill my complete potential. Like, all those things are fine. More often than not, it's people actually thinking that they're going to put off the inevitable if they do it. (laughs) Well, you're investing in the thing that you're ultimately having to release. Like The more we invest in our identity and the less we invest in our spiritual reality, the unborn and the undying aspect of us, the more we're going to be disappointed because we're putting all of our investment into this thing that's going to evaporate. And the more the way, you know, going back to our larger conversation, um, the more the world will continue to have the types of confrontations that we're seeing, you know? Um, yeah, I think about this often, and I share it occasionally with a ceremonial group, if it's appropriate, you know, that we're all locked on a particular, basically our lives are just habitual, right? The way that we see global politics, you know, what's happening in the United States, um, these confrontations, they're just ways of being that are just habitual. In reality, the entire thing could change on a dime, you know? Mm-hmm. Literally tomorrow, enough, a percentage of people could wake up and go, this is fucking crazy. I'm going to do this shit anymore. You know, it's that Bernie man out here. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I've thought about like, what would life look like if you got up every morning and instead of thinking about how you could, you know, better yourself, make more money, advance your project, you would wake up with like, what can I bring to life today? You know? Right. And it is like going to Bernie man. It's like, what awesome thing can I contribute to the party? Right. Yeah. And I, I've seen, I know a lot of people that live that way. I'm sure you do too. And I think this is actually a reality that's possible. You know, most people could work up, I'm sorry, wake up not into a survival mode, but into a what can I contribute to the world mode. Like, life is so freaking awesome. There's so much infinite possibility. You know, I don't want to be known for being the richest person in the world. I want to be known for the guy that brought the best idea possible to the table, sure. you know? Like, yeah, and, and if you start investing in how much you can make the whole game better for everybody. Yeah, you know, like that's real fun. That's real fun. Yeah. I mean, that's something that's going to constantly fill your cup. And there's tons of studies that show that one of the it's best true. ways to get out of depression or get get out of this kind of self, this kind of self centric 
world construct that we're in is to just start giving yeah you know just start giving giving as much as you can joy happiness love comfort anything you can to as many people as possible and you're going to feel different when people contact me and they want support with you know depression they can't get out of it i always say the same thing well when in doubt put yourself in service Mm because it works every single time right it's like what does that mean i go well I can't make you undepressed, but what I can do is let you know from experience that if you go put yourself into service, your life will be not about inside your head anymore. It will be about what's happening out here, right? And what you can bring and how you can affect other people. And every single time with no exception, someone who actually was able to hear that and take it on, that was the best advice possible, right? And I didn't make it up. I got it from variations on things like you just shared. But it's true. I find we get so trapped in our heads. One of the beautiful things about plant medicine, ayahuasca in particular, is that it initially, yeah, starts this conversation in the head, right? In a way that it's just revealing to you, your internal process. Then it creates this observer. You suddenly realize you're observing this crazy monkey mind of your own, right? And then it suddenly kind of starts opening up into, you know, Pachamama, the world, the cosmos. And you start to realize a lot of people do, it's like, oh, this has all just been me and my head and my worldview. I'm actually not living in the real world, right? I've been living in my thoughts and judgments and biases and, yeah, it's really profound. And again, what we're seeing, I, I would like to think, is what's happening certainly nationally, if not globally, that a lot of people are starting to have this conversation, yeah. you know? You know, it, looking at the New York Times bestseller list, this week, and all I think it was like 17 of 18 were all books on like racism, Black Lives Matter. And I've had some white friends of mine tell me too that it never dawned on them to read those books because why would they? Because they're really not racist, right? And they're not. Mm-hmm. However, that doesn't mean that they have an understanding of systemic racism, yeah. the culture of it, what it actually means, where it comes from. And what most of them has shared with me was, you know, what I got from that that I wasn't expecting was seeing the world from your perspective for the first time. Yeah. yeah. Taking a real walk in your shoes. Exactly. And yeah. understanding what it feels like to be you. You know, and I was sharing with a friend um, recently that, you know, as I mentioned, I live in Atwater Village and I was, I run every night. Usually it's a brisk walk. Right? So, and, um, so I'm out there and I said, you know, it's interesting that you guys all perceive me almost as being quote unquote not black, right? Because you don't associate me with what your ideas of blackness are, right? And the stereotypes of that. However, I go, when I run at night, I have to be careful about where I run and what I wear. So this is a reality that you guys aren't aware of, right? It's like, yeah. if you're black in America, you know it and you better be aware of it, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, and it's, there, it's really hard to even put yourself in that perspective unless you go through the intentional process of really Mm -hmm. doing it and really like our imagination is very powerful that's one of the tools that we have as humans but we have to actually activate it and access it and like imagine it because i can i can think of a time recently maybe two and a half three months ago so i'm pulling out of my driveway and i'm making a left turn and up up near my driveway or like the the street that's like that my house is on Mm. there's a hill and there's a hill to the left of me and i'm making a left turn and so if there's a car coming up the hill it's hard to see so Uh. because it's kind of hidden because of the the incline so i pull out and i see a car coming so i accelerate a little bit to make sure that i have plenty of space to go well a car turns out to be a cop Uh. and i was like all right well you know i 
did the best I could. There was a right. hill. I couldn't see it. So I pull over. And then the cop throws on his flashers, throws a U-turn. I'm like, what the fuck? What is he doing? Like, oh, it wasn't here. like a close, it wasn't a close right. call, here it right? Comes. So then I'm I'm pulling over and I, you know, roll down the window and I'm like, all right, he's gonna talk to me or something like that. And he was really angry. He's like, really? What are you doing? You know, like, why why'd you accelerate? I was like, Well, I didn't see you. There's a hill. And then he's like, Well, you could have crept out. I was like, um, well, if I crept out, it'd have been more dangerous just because right. you're coming up. And then he's he was so angry because I guess he got scared and then he gave me a ticket. And oh, interesting. like okay, so this is nothing compared to what people of color have to deal with. Nothing. Yeah. It's, yeah. A had minor ticket. And had it's a minor ticket. It's a minor ticket. It doesn't yeah. even fucking matter. But right. even the injustice of that, which was not based on any race at all, mm -hmm. not based on who I was, which is based on him being angry yeah. and him responding. The injustice that he had the authority to give me that fucking ticket when because I he was angry because he was angry right. and didn't deserve it i was hot i was hot all day but then i think all right in that trivial trivial mm -hmm. insignificant moment imagine imagine what it would be like to be a person of color and oh, have yeah. to deal with that constantly with much more severe consequence and much more frequency and how that would affect me and how that would affect my worldview like that's something to really take in yeah it's this this theme has come up in a couple of films, I think, I, I don't recall, but this idea that something that white people or, or just about anybody that's not a person, well, I'll just say somebody not black, non-black people, there's this moment when often parents, the way that other parents think, okay, now it's time to have the birds and bees conversation, right? Black people have to have that moment when I need to let you know something, that you're black and that's a problem in the world, right? I need to like, a lot of people don't like you for these reasons. And because of that, there's things that you need to be mindful about, right? How you drive your car. If the cops should pull you over, make sure that your hands stay on. Like, oh, what kind of conversations are these that parents have to have with their kids, yeah. right? It's ridiculous, right? So it's almost like, you know, and I had that conversation with my mom in her own way, a moment when she needed to explain something to me from the context of, well, the reason it happened is because you're black. And as a kid, I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> right? Yeah, of course. Why would a kid understand that? Yeah. It doesn't make any fucking sense. And she had to do her best to let me know, like, well, I know you don't, and I know it's ridiculous, but you still need to know that this is the way other people are seeing you in the world, and there's no way around it. You just have to deal with it. Right? Yeah. yeah. I want to go back to one point that you made about being of service and how helpful mm -hmm. that is. I think one of the things that we all really need as human beings mm -hmm. is you know, meaning. And and meaning is the ability to personally affect an outcome that we yeah. care about, right? Like, yeah. So when it's sometimes very difficult to have meaning and think that you're going to have hope, and it's really hope, right? Hope yeah. and meaning are, are very closely aligned because hope is a belief that something positive in the future can happen. Mm -hmm. And if you're participating actively in that process, then you have meaning, right. you know? But sometimes we're so depressed and so down and our life is so bleak that it's very difficult to imagine that we could do anything to improve ourselves. Yeah. However, it's a lot easier to recognize that we could do something that could help somebody yeah. else. And in that case, because there's no way that we can, can trick our mind to say, there's literally nothing I could do to help any other human on the planet. You have to be really pathological to really believe that. So you can, yeah. you can have hope and have meaning just by helping somebody else. And I think that's something that we're seeing, it's very important on the personal mm -hmm. level, but I think it's also one of the reasons why this is such a passionate movement is all of a sudden people have meaning. Oh, wow, you've hit a nail on the head that I think isn't talked about enough, that if you put the protest, the Black Lives Matter movement, 
in the context of the pandemic, all these people that, you know, out of work, um, their lives turned upside down, suddenly they're isolated. A lot of them really looking for what motivates me to get out of bed in the morning, right? And then suddenly, like you just said it, like you were given a huge meaning today, huge purpose. Like I am now part of this movement, right? And in a lot of ways, that's really good. And in a lot of ways, I think it's why we see so much of it um, being confrontational. I think for a lot of people, it may not be that they're really deeply rooted in the history and the significance of the moment. I think it could just be like, that's it. Finally, I found my purpose. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm going to sure. be on the street. I'm going to yell and break windows and do what it takes <laughs> to kind of like just make a mess. Because <laughs> you yeah. get what I'm saying. I'm exaggerating it, but I think there's a component of that for sure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, in the beautiful poetic kind of synchronistic timing in the universe, I remember thinking, because many times there has been incidents that could have sparked what we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. And they always kind of get, you know, a little fire that gets put out and it smolders for a while. I think what was unique about this one is that the pandemic and the stress of all of that and the isolation, all of it was a perfect like tenderbox. You know, yeah. people exploded out of that onto the street. What a contrast. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Which was something they probably wanted anyways, this kind of compression of exactly. being at home. They're like, okay, now there's something to really like you said, a meaning, a really valid reason to break out of this story and you know. Yeah. Yeah, and you know the jury's still out on like you know how that will affect the pandemic in terms of its cases. Like so far, yes, they're rising, but they would have anyway because the quarantines are starting to end. And yeah, so I'll be very curious, like everyone else, to see how it plays mm-hmm. out. You know? Yeah, ultimately. Yeah. Well, if you're up for it, I'd love for you to bless us with a bless ah. us with a song. <laughs> I'd forgotten about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so <clears throat> I'll preface this by saying, you know, I. I'm mostly known publicly as a uh, just public advocate for plant medicine work, you know? mm-hmm. um, mainly because I've seen over the years as you have, it transformed so many hundreds of lives. I mean, people just literal life transformations. The other is, and related again to what's happening right now on the planet is, so much of our healing is ancestral healing or needing to be, right? Things that we inherited from our ancestors. Um, and ayahuasca beautifully does that work. It's mostly ancestral work in a lot of ways. And so what mostly moves the ceremony along is the music itself. Right? Uh, when I worked with the Shipibo, they said, um, the guy we were working with said that, he said, we acknowledge that ayahuasca is the true healer, but the Icaros, the music tells it where to go. Mm. It like directs the energy. And I really, really like that. So that launched me on a whole journey of sound healing, uh, which is a, relatively new field is gaining ground, you know, the the role of vibration and sound and what music does to the brain, you know, that it actually opens up access to memories that might have been lost or suppressed. Obviously, it brings you into emotional states that can get you access to parts of yourself that you maybe wouldn't have access to otherwise. So whether it's like beautiful, melodic, or kind of dissonant and confrontational, the music still is like a major part of the healing. So. Mm-hmm. So I shared that because I started off my quote-unquote career thinking that I would just be a musician. I wanted to be an artist. When I discovered ayahuasca and the role that music plays in it, I thought, whoa, game changer. Like, this is the only music that I'm now interested in. Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold, that form of music has uh, now become a genre of music called medicine music. So that's what I focus on. And it's really just music that either comes out of ceremony space or is um, 
shared with the intention of helping to facilitate kind of healing work. So, so I'll share. A and it is things. unbelievably powerful for anybody it's, who's participated in a ceremony. The music is probably other than the medicine itself, like they're saying. It's the most powerful. The most yeah. important thing. Yeah, um, for better or worse, as you know. Like, yeah. Yeah, I've been in ceremonies like some people where it's like everything was going great until they played that one song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Into the bardo, <laughs> you go. You're like fingernails scratching <laughs> in the top. Of it, yeah. You know. So yeah, the the role of music and the uh, responsibility for either choosing good music or playing music uh, appropriate is, I think a, a in addition to learning to facilitate ceremony. Being a ceremony musician is a whole other art form in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. And skill that needs to be learned. And so I think that's where most of my study is. Mm -hmm. uh, so usually at some point in ceremony, I'm playing this drum. Uh, it's called a frame drum. A frame drum is basically any drum where the, uh, the head is uh, much wider than the, the width of the drum. So tambourines, like all of them are considered frame drums. And apparently they think this might be the one of the oldest instruments found through cave paintings, I believe, and it was women that played them initially. Men picked it up later. We traveled far to find this place Where weary souls find a warm embrace We traveled far Find this place where weary souls they find a warm embrace, and all our love, all our love, it comes from this place. All our love, all our love, comes from this place. Traveled far from outer space to bring you love and a warm embrace. We traveled far from outer space to bring you love and a warm embrace. And all our love, all our love, it comes from this place. All our love, all our love comes from this place. We traveled far from inner space to calm the war with a warm embrace. We traveled far from inner space to calm the war with a warm embrace. And unto you we sing and pray from this place. And unto you we sing and pray from this place. May all our bombs turn into birds and fly away May all our bombs turn into birds 
Medicine music. It's actually a short version. <laughs> That's unbelievable, man. Yeah. It's so powerful. So powerful. And I think one of the things about this type of music, one of the reasons why it's so powerful in ceremony mm-hmm. is you're really listening. You're really paying attention. Well, like ceremony opens absolutely. up all of your senses. And and even now, because the podcast itself is is a little ceremony. Like oh, my yeah. attention, my attention is at some of the highest and most present that it is in, in any aspect of my life because yeah, i know that absolutely. these there's a lot of people listening i'm bringing it and listening the best the music hits so much deeper when you really give it the yeah. space and you really give it the presence to listen and you're not fidgeting around with other stuff or looking on your phone it's amazing you know and it's why you know the the concept of medicine music is really any music that can facilitate a healing process the difference is you could actually play a pop song in ceremony, but in that place, actually hear what's being shared for the first time. Yeah. You're like, whoa, I never quite understood those lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and the, the the beautiful thing about medicine music is that more often than not, you receive the song in the ceremony itself. So it already has this beautiful layer of um, appropriateness and like profound impact because it's coming out of that space, you know, uh, that one included, you know. Um, I remember thinking like sort sort of like cognizing everybody in the room as having made this choice to incarnate and be a part of this healing process. Right? Mm-hmm. And in that, that's where the lyrics came from. It's like, we traveled far from outer space to bring you love and a warm embrace because that's really all I'm really doing in ceremony. Right. Mm-hmm. And that that is a way to calm the war metaphorically and oftentimes literally. Right. Your friends having the confrontation and wanting to be in your face, you know, like really good friend of mine who I just love and was so mad at me, you know, and he was just like, and literally that close to me, fuck you, fuck you. And I was like, I, just, I love him so much. <laughs> right. Really. And it wasn't yeah. like I was like putting some spiritual bypass euphemism on top of it. I realized in that moment, like, I really do love him so much and I feel bad that I've made him mad enough to do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and just the reaching out and the hugging took care of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also travel far from inner space. You know, and I think that's Crucial. something that yeah. we all have to recognize because in that moment, he was, you know, lost in a, in a deep part of his inner space Absolutely. where anger and all of these things were present. And, and all of us are locked in these different situations where we're really far from that loving embrace yeah. that we can express externally because we're lost in our own in our own psychological kind of prison that yeah. we're in, in our own lost cave, you know, and and so to travel far from that. To from the, the internal space, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I was, it's interesting because one of the things uh, I like so much about that particular song is one of the things you get from ayahuasca is this multi-layered um, view, obviously, perspective of reality, that at any given moment, it's like, well, there's Aubrey and I sitting at the table having a conversation, you know, there's been lots of versions of this. But then if I look closer, it's like, you know, well, actually the entire room is made of the same thing. It's all particles. And the whole thing is conscious. The tiles are talking to, like, mm-hmm. you know, you could just go down that rabbit hole endlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're like, what Nassim Haramine is saying is like that the basis of all reality, reality is just conversation. Like it's just energy transfer. And the whole thing is in conversation, talking to each other. So I also mean that when I sing the lyrics, like we've traveled far from inner space too. Like that, we're, we literally are appearing out of nothing, right? We're appearing out of time and space. 
somehow evolved to be able to sit and talk about the whole thing. It's like, isn't this great? How cool. Doing, right? How cool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. And I feel like something we talked about earlier, it's like, you can't rush the healing process. And if I look at like confrontations, for instance, maybe with the protest, it wouldn't be appropriate to stand up at a protest and go, hey guys, you know, on a quantum level, this is all like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not going to work. Um, You'll but get the proverbial tomatoes thrown out. Exactly. Yeah. Right? We're mad, we're upset, and, and you know, rightly so. Um, but there is a moment I find in almost any arc of a process, cathartic process or conversation, where that level of awareness can enter the conversation. Mm -hmm. And the perspective uh, you get from ayahuasca with enough years, I think, uh, is um, knowing when to bring that level of insight into a conversation, right? Because that level of process people go through, it's like, here's this thing that happened to me and it was really painful. You know, now I'm back in the trauma, you know, and then, oh, I forgive her. And then somewhere at the end of that, you, you know, ayahuasca reveals and goes, and the whole thing was just a show. It was like, everything's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell you that earlier, but I can now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And that's the yeah. off, the other thing too that the medicine offers is it's your own voice that yeah. actually ends up telling you. Maybe maybe you can externalize it as ayahuasca told me, and sometimes it exactly. does feel like that. But nonetheless, it's coming through Still in a way you. that it's not somebody else's opinion that you could discredit. It's like, oh, this is me realizing this for myself, which is just so much more powerful than somebody telling you. Anyways, people ask me very often. One of the common questions is like, um, is what you experience in ayahuasca real? Like, are the beings real? Um, is ayahuasca actually an entity? Right? Mm -hmm. And um, my response is, does it matter? Yeah. Right? Um, Same here. Yeah. And the reason is, like, look, it works. Right? Yeah. It's a technology that works, that consistently brings healing to people. And whether or not, first you'd have to have the conversation about what is real anyway. You know, if you're perceiving it, right, it's being experienced as real to you in that moment. So I feel like ultimately it doesn't actually matter. What does is that if you surrender to the process, we know what's possible on the other side of it. You know, um, yeah, and that's like my main motivation. Going back to like what motivates you to get out of bed in the morning. You know, like I was sharing with you before we started that of the whole weeks of the uh, quarantine, I was actually pretty active and getting things done, and the introvert in me was just loving it. Right? Mm -hmm. But this one day I was kind of lying on the couch and. My roommate came in and wanted something, and I was just kind of like, I got nothing for you. I'm just like, I'm finally going to let myself just be in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just sink into the whole thing and be unmotivated. And I did that for about six hours. you know. And um, I was really glad that I did because it was a layer of experience that a lot of people were having that I hadn't allowed myself to experience yet. Right? It's like the wounded healer kind of thing. It's like, yeah. okay, now when I, the next motivation or mediation call I need to do with somebody, I'm going to remember what this felt like because yeah. I was not feeling it prior to this, but these people have been feeling it for weeks and that's why they're calling me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Well, we're uh, getting about time to wrap up here and you have a beautiful hand pan, so let's, let's, uh, let's give it a little love. Most people that don't know, the hand pan is like a spaceship. Like a flying saucer. It's of kind sound. of like an inverted uh, steel drum, but... You know, basically a melodic percussion instrument. Um, for people that are familiar with handpan, this has been around for quite a while. For a lot of people, it's new.
actually a song for George Floyd. <clears throat> Let's play the beginning of it. I went down to that river to pray. Power, George. Yeah. And I, you know, I chose those lyrics because, like, you don't need to just speak to the the details of a tragedy like that. What instead came to me was the the backbone of the African American experience. What always gets our people through is the reliance on the spirituality and this idea of like going to the river, you know, mm -hmm. River Jordan, you know, and uh, being there and using the water, connecting with nature and spirit to basically wash your troubles away. So I just had this vision of like, because you know the last thing he cried out to was his mom. Mm. You know, I had this vision like, that was my kind of visualization of that. It's like, you meet your mother and your father and let's just go down to the river. It's all good. <laughs> right. It was such a powerful part when you talked about them yeah. laughing too. You know, it was almost yeah. at that point, they're the... The Maya, the illusion Absolutely. of the world, all dissipated, and there the souls were dancing and, and laughing. Yeah, you, you know? it's a perfect place to close our conversation because this comes up often, like you know, like if being at Burning Man or at a rave in my early days, and there'd always be this one kid on the floor that's just cracking up, right? He's taking mm -hmm. some drugs or whatever, and I remember like always thinking that was funny. But then I heard some amazing guru, I don't remember which one, he said something to this effect, you know, to wake up from the illusion. Oftentimes, the only possible response is laughter. 
I've been where, there. Yeah. <laughs> and we've had that experience many times <laughs> yeah. where suddenly you go, what the? And you just start laughing <laughs> at all of it. And I feel like that's where I always try to take myself to, not to bypass the uncomfortable feeling, but in the midst of that, to also maintain like, you know, as a lot of mystics have said, this is all the theater of God. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's, you can look it out at everything with its impossible complexity, yeah. and it's so much more than the mind can even comprehend. Mm-hmm. So when you actually behold everything that you're trying to grapple with and trying to hold on to some semblance of control, and you yeah. have no chance, the only thing to do at that point is just throw up your hands and, and laugh. just laugh and just have faith, yeah. just faith and laughter. You know, yeah. just like all right, you've been to the burn. I uh, have um, met my wife there. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Many of my friends and married there. Um, I had that experience my very first burn. I think I went a total of seven times. And there's this one night which only people that have been in the burn can relate to. You know, I think we might have taken mushrooms. I don't know. We're, I'm out in the middle of the playa, in the center of this, you know, 50,000 people crazy party. And, and this boat goes by like a full scale pirate ship with an opera happening and people were swinging. <laughs> <laughs> And there's this moment when you suddenly, like, it was the entire world. Like, and you're in the middle of a desert at the biggest party ever, and there's opera singers on a ship moving along the sand, <laughs> and amongst everything else, you know, and couples making love. And I just started laughing, and I couldn't stop. You know? <laughs> right? And I realized that I was laughing not just for that moment, but that all life had kind of crescendoed and could crescendo to that moment of seeing the whole thing as that. Right? It's like... This is crazy. We're all just on this crazy boat floating through space, <laughs> you know, playing cops and robbers and pirates, oh, and it's absurd. Oh, <laughs> From that perspective, the pale blue dot perspective, the whole thing is absurd. It's beautiful, you know, crazy, and at times just laughable. No doubt. No doubt. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. What a treat finally. Yeah. This. this is amazing. Um, people can find your songs if they're looking for them on Spotify, Bird Tribe. Yeah, uh, either Bird Tribe, uh, the group name, or Tony Moss. Um, we'll take it to my website, which has a link to all the music. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and mostly it's a collective, as you know, of artists. Um, I'm just kind of representing here today, but it's a group of amazing medicine music artists that all collaborate. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much, brother. Thank, Thank you, everybody, you. for listening. Peace. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into this podcast with Tony Moss. Definitely check out his music under the name Bird Tribe, and also reach out. Let me know what you think. Let's keep the conversation going. I love you guys, and I will see you next week.